right, you guys can just remain standing. Uh, we're going to continue in our worship together. We're so glad that you're here. As we continue to worship, uh, our offering is going to come around. That's just for regular attenders. If you're a guest, you are our guest. You can let that pass. But what you can do for us is we'd love to reach out to you. We'd love to get in contact with you. So if you haven't yet, there should be a card under the seat in front of you that you can fill out and just put in the offering as it comes around. Um, we'd love to, to chat with you a little bit. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and, and we're going to continue to worship our King. God, we're just so thankful that you say we're two or three are gathered in your name. You are there. And Jesus, when, when you shed your blood to save us, um, God, you said forever we are covered by the blood, uh, your innocent blood that you shed. And so I just pray, God, that every heart that you would meet us where we're at this morning, uh, that we would know your peace, that we would know your freedom, that we would know your love, your unconditional love for us. No matter what's going on in life right now, God, it's all redeemed, it's all made right in the cross of Jesus, that there is nothing, there is no sin, there is no shame more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we're here to, to worship you for that and give you glory for that. Um, God, uh, we know when we can see what is good about you in worship, it brings into perspective everything that is wrong uh, with our lives. And, and so thank you. God, we're here to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for loving us. We need you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your son that you sent to die on the cross for us to save us from our sin. Um, just thank you that we've had this time together just to worship you. I pray for every person in this room that we would have open hearts and open ears to hear what Nick has to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How is everybody? Are you good? I'm just a little tired. If I yawn in the middle of this, I was at camp all week. So my own kids have a fine way of beating me to a pulp. And other people's kids have even more of a fine way of beating me to a pulp. So Owen knows, man. He, he hit me in dodgeball about a dozen times. But I, I'm sure that there's somebody here who's not good today. I'm sure there's somebody here who... Um, is in pain, and, and we just want you to know that wherever you are this morning, we always say come as you are, um, but we believe that God is faithful not to leave us that way. And so we want this to be a place where you can walk in these doors and not put a mask on. We don't want you just to walk through those doors and greet the greeters and then all of a sudden put your smile on your face, right? We want this to be a place where people are honest and open, and we want this to be a place where you learn how to be joyful in the midst of pain and in the midst of suffering and in the midst of shame, but we want you to be able to be honest enough to walk out of your shame because Jesus didn't die so that we could continue to sit in our shame and to continue to sit in our guilt. That's not freedom, right? And so wherever you are this morning, whatever's going on in your life today, there is freedom in Jesus. And we want you to know that because we've talked about in the last few weeks, we've talked about knowing peace. And there's some people in the room this morning that you just don't know peace and you haven't known peace for a long time. And the one thing you want 
is a little bit of peace. I can tell you it's not, it doesn't come apart from knowing Jesus. That Jesus is the only peace that we can have. Because if we don't have Jesus, there's still something wrong with us. And so I'm going to pray for us again. And, and as I pray, I just want you to open your hearts. I want you to be here in this moment and be able to be before God Almighty. Whether you have a relationship with Jesus or you don't, God is here. He promises that where two or three are gathered in his name, in Jesus' name, that the presence of God is there. So that's my prayer for you, is that you would be able to meet with God no matter where you're at this morning, no matter what's going on, is that his word would change us. So let's pray. God, um, we want to take your presence seriously. Father, some, some people in this room have not felt your presence in a long time. Some people in this room have no peace right now. Some people in this room are sitting in their shame and their guilt, God. And we want freedom for them. And you want freedom for them, God. Jesus came not only so that we could have eternal life when we die, but that we can have an abundant life now. And so, Father, I pray as you meet every person where they're at, God, that, that we, we are broken. I just pray that we would recognize it. And that we need you to heal our broken hearts. Father, help us to consider joy in hard situations. Help us to, um, to bring everything into perspective because what is right with you makes everything that is wrong with us right again through the blood of Jesus. So we can have true freedom in you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, today is going to be all about occupying your street and how we should do that as a church and how Jesus should do that. When we say, uh, not Jesus should do that, how Jesus did do that and how we should do it. We say, occupy your street. Um, this is what it's going to mean, okay? It means not only the street that you live on, your neighbors, it's including your neighbors. Okay, first question is, do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? A lot of times, um, if, if somebody comes, I was in a, in a restaurant once. And uh, somebody read this tattoo on my arm. It says Linos in Greek, right? And uh, I'm not really going to tell you what that means. You can ask me about it later. But they knew what it said, all right? And so I hear, I'm sitting there at Olive Garden with my wife and a couple friends, and they, they started saying that word, Linos. I'm like, what is that? Is that the Holy Spirit? Like, I'm hearing this voice. What's going on? And I look over, and there's this guy sitting next to me, and he you know, he knew what it meant. I was like, how in the world did you know what that meant? He happened to be a pastor, and then he launched into this long theological conversation with me, and it immediately turned me off. And so I, I like to, when people ask me those theological questions that immediately turn me off, I just want to ask them, hey, first, I have a question for you. Do you know your neighbor's names? Because once you can tell me all of your neighbor's names, then we'll have this conversation again, right? Because what's far more important Knowing your neighbor's names or knowing a lot of information? Knowing your neighbor's names. All right? Some people are like, no, no, it's not. We're going to turn to Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. And again, occupying your street is not everybody that you just live next to. It's everybody that you see on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. It's everybody that you run into. It's your neighbor. It's your coworker. It's a person that you see regularly at a restaurant. It's your barber or your hairdresser. 
Are we occupying that street with the love of Jesus? Matthew 7, verse 12 to 23. It's like three quarters of the way through your Bible. In this Bible, again, it's on page 1052. Um, that'll not be helpful to you at all. Um, but if you don't have a Bible, there might be one under a seat near you, um, in front of you. Or you can look on the screen, or you can go on your phone, whatever you want. Verse 12, chapter 7, in the book of Matthew. It says, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus telling his followers, here's what it looks like to live as part of the kingdom of God. He's called his disciples, not just his 12 disciples, but he's called everyone who is willing to say, Jesus, I'm committed to you and your message, not just attracted to your miracles. He's called all those people up on the mountainside with him, and he's telling them, if you really are truly desiring to be committed to me, and you got to make this personal right now, okay? because a lot of times I can see it in your faces. You're hearing what I'm saying, but it's not personal, all right? Make this personal. If you're really desiring to live as part of the kingdom of God, you need to know. The struggle with the Sermon on the Mount is, and this is a challenge to people who have been in church their whole life or for a long time, and it is an encouragement to people who are new to the faith or even not, don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're new to this whole church thing. Um, because if you grew up in the church like I did, the Sermon on the Mount becomes like a 90s worship song, right? Because in the 90s, this is when contemporary worship music first started, okay? It's when like guitars started started coming out, and drums, and you got the full band, and there was like five good worship songs written at that time. Now there's a ton. Now there is a ton of worship songs, but back then there was only five, right? And so every single one of them got overplayed, uh, and every single week we'd play the same songs, and then after a while, you know the words by heart. You don't need the words on the screen anymore, and you start singing them, and you start singing them, and you start singing them, but they mean absolutely nothing to you, right? If you've been in the church for a long time, it's kind of like the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard the Beatitudes. You've heard this over again, and all of a sudden, it stops meaning anything to you. You're like, oh yeah, I can shut off now, right? Because I've heard this before, but it doesn't mean nothing to you. But if you're new to the church, if you're new 
to faith or if you don't have faith in Jesus yet as your Savior, here's the cool thing. We believe, because the Bible says this about itself, is that this book is the absolute only book on the planet that is alive. It's actually breathing, like I can hear it, right? I'm just kidding, can't. Some, some of you were convinced, like, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit is letting him hear that breathe right now. I'm just, Nan was, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the Bible says it is a living and active book. Not too long ago, I had somebody ask me, Nick, how many times have you read the Bible? I said a few times. And uh, he said, how is it possible that every time you read it, you can get something new? It doesn't become just mundane and boring, right? You become, and my answer was, because it is living and active. The Bible says it is able to pierce to the division of bone and marrow. Every single time we read this, God through the Holy Spirit can bring it alive to us in a brand new way. And so let's go through this all and see what this means for us, what Jesus is actually saying by the golden rule. He starts off in verse 12 by saying, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. My goodness, that is a loaded statement. Jesus starts off by saying, I mean, this is, this is, this is, a, this is a, a phrase that we've heard inside and outside the church my entire life. Like, everybody knows the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do to you. Treat others how you want others to treat you. However you want to say it, people inside and outside the church know what this what the golden rule says, but we have absolutely no idea what it actually means, right? Everybody says this. Paul start, I mean, Jesus starts off by saying, so. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That word so means that this is Jesus' official end, beginning to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? He says, so... If you just missed everything that I just said to you, I mean, this is Jesus that is talking, but we know through reading through the rest of the Gospels that his, his disciples at times were kind of clueless, right? I mean, kind of like a lot of us, right? I'm not looking at anybody specific, okay? I got to like bounce my eyes there, so you don't. Um, kind of like a lot of us are clueless, but he's, he's like, hey, if you just missed everything that I just said to you, you get this one thing. You get this one thing that I need you and you need to treat other people exactly how you want other people to treat you. If you can remember that one thing, you will do great. Now, of course, there is other things. The Bible is a big book, okay? 66 books in the Bible. God wrote this for us, okay? His Holy Spirit spoke to, to over 40 authors to write the Bible, okay? That means there's a whole lot in it that we need to know. Otherwise, we wouldn't preach every week. We wouldn't be up here every week. We'd just stand up here and say, hey, the person next to you, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's your neighbor, whoever it is, treat them how you want to be treated. And next week, we'd come back and say, treat them how you want to be treated. But you get my point. Jesus is saying, if you miss everything, if you miss everything except this one thing, treat others how you want to be treated. We took, through the next week, we, we will have taken 14 weeks to go through the Sermon on the Mount with you. 
right? And we took everything that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've broken it down so that we can all understand it better. But what did Jesus do? He preached this thing in one sitting, and then he was pretty much like, this is what he did a lot of the times. Jesus preached with passion and zeal, and then he said, if you get it, you get it. Right? And he walked away. And he just left people to understand these things. But not on their own, because this is what Jesus wants. He didn't explain the deeper meaning behind the whole Sermon on the Mount as he preached it. That would have taken forever. Right? His point was that I want you. I want you to hear what I am saying, and I want you to pursue the deeper meaning behind it. Jesus is always about the heart. We've said this over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is about your heart. And so he preaches this thing to them, doesn't explain anything deeper, but then he says, follow me. He just keeps telling people to follow me. Keep learning from me. Keep learning from me. Keep learning from me. Now here's the deal. You may be sitting in the room this morning and you may know a lot about this book. You, have, you may have been to Bible school, you may have been to seminary, you may have read it several times through, right? You may be in the room this morning and you know nothing about the Bible. Like what I just read to you is like the first thing you've ever heard from the Bible, right? Here's the point. Whatever you know, act on what you know. Act on what you know. So Jesus goes on. He says, so act towards others how you want them to act towards you. Now, this is pretty uh, convincing lately with my kids. I have kids, right? And um, they are pretty nuts sometimes. And it's, uh, it's summertime. So if you have kids that are normally away from you at school during the day and then they come home in the summer, you know how stressful that is. I'm not even home all day. Like my schedule hasn't really changed at all, but my wife's schedule has changed. So I can see how much more stressed out with my kids being home all day that my wife is. So I come home and my wife's stressed and so I'm immediately angry with my kids. What did you do to mom? Like now I have to live in this, right? It's on kids, right? And so I don't lay, lay the smack down too much, but occasionally I have to. But this has worked wonders lately because they just, you spend the sa- a good amount of time with the same people all day long, you're going to start getting under each other's skin. And so, um, so I say to my kids, hey, if, if you were your brother in this situation or if you were your sister and, they were, and you were in their shoes, how do, how do you think that you would have wanted to be treated? In this situation, how do, you, how do you think you would have wanted the other person to treat you? And then they'll tell me an answer, and usually it's the right answer. You know, they, they'll say something like, I, I would have wanted them not to smack me across the face. Right? I'll say, that's a good answer. Next time, act like that. Right? You get mad, don't, don't smack them across the face. I tell them all the time, you, you're allowed to be angry. You just have to learn to manage that. Right? And don't, don't take it out on your brother or sister. Act like you want them to treat you in that situation. Now, we all know this in our heads. But when's the last time you were about to act towards somebody else and you asked yourself the question, how would I want them to treat me in this situation? Like you just pause for a moment and you say, how would I want this person to treat me in this situation? And, and even in that moment, ask God, God, 
Like, reveal to me how I should act toward this person in this situation. How would I really want them to act towards me? And then act that way. How often do we take? I mean, this is the golden rule. Right? This is the one thing. You're following Jesus. This is the one thing that you got to remember. But how often do we, we know it so well that it just kind of flows through one ear and out the other. And we don't ever actually ask the question. Then Jesus goes on. So act towards others how you want them to act towards you. This is the law and the prophets. The law being the first five books of the Bible. In my Bible it's like 226 pages. All right? This is what a Jew at that time would have memorized by their teen years. Okay? The 226 pages. Right? I have a hard time reading a 226 page book. Reading it let alone uh, memorizing it, right? The law and the prophets, it's pretty much the rest of the Old Testament, to make it simple, okay? So the entire Old Testament points to this one thing. This is how it's summed up. Treat others how you want them to treat you. In Matthew twenty-two forty, 40, it says this, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying this, the first thing, the first and foremost primary um, thing of importance for you people who say that you want to follow Jesus is that you love God with every part of your being, right? And number two, he actually says in, in the passage, he says, and number two is like it, all right? It's also important to God that as you seek, the best way that you can seek to love God with your entire being is how you act towards other people, is love other people. It really is that simple. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-4. I love this passage. Listen closely to this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Like, yeah, everybody's like, I know that's true. Because if I just stood up here week after week after week and told you a bunch of information, a bunch of information, a bunch of information, a bunch of information, and then you never saw that lived out in my life, if I was not an example of what I was preaching to you, what would I sound like? Would you enjoy listening to this? Would you ever take it to heart? No, I would sound like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal that you were continually annoyed by, right? And there's nothing good about that. There's nothing right about that. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So it all comes down to this. Without love, everything else is pointless. I, I recently wrote an article called Uncomplicated in, uh, in a recent issue of Urbandale Living Magazine. And uh, I really just pointed to the fact that, like, hey, this is a call to Christians everywhere that you, you have Scripture and you read it, and you say you love it, right? But then we end up making Christianity so stinking complicated. 
We make it again about all of the rules and following all of the laws when Jesus said, you're free from that. Not that you don't need to follow those things, but you follow them for a different reason. You follow them with a different mentality. You follow them with a different thinking. And so in the article, I just said, what if we, for a moment, right, we don't actually want you to do all these things, but actually maybe we do. Forget about everything you know and say maybe it just comes down to loving people with the gospel. That we actually spend time with people that we disagree with. That we actually seek people out that we hate. Right? If Christianity just came down to one thing, what would it be? Love people to Jesus. Love people to Jesus. Love people to Jesus. Uncomplicated. So the next time you're wondering in a situation, how am I supposed to act toward this person? And you can write this down if you want, because I want you to remember this, this question that um, I try to ask myself. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? If I'm dealing with my spouse, if I'm dealing with my kids, right? If I'm dealing with a coworker. If I'm dealing with anybody, anybody that I am dealing with in any situation in my life, I ask the question, what does love require of me? And Jesus goes on, verse 13 to, and 14, he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, remember, I've told you this before, that when I preach, when I come at 10.30 on a Sunday morning to preach to you, I have already been preaching this message to myself all week long, right? And this still hits me just as hard as it did when I started. And I'm preaching it to you. I've heard this in my head. The Holy Spirit has spoken this to me all week long, right? And so I feel the weight of this. This part hit me the hardest. This is an example of something that I have read over and over and over and over and over again. And this week, it hit me new. This week, it hit me uh, pretty powerful. I grew up in the church, okay, my entire life. I don't think I've missed many Sundays, right? My entire life, I've been in the church. And this is what we hear. Enter through the narrow gate, for the way is hard and narrow that leads to life. Also, the way is easy and wide that leads to destruction. And we so often interpret that in a, in a way to mean that, hey, listen, it is, it is hard. It's really hard to stand up for your morals in a corrupt world. It's easier to live in sin and do whatever you want. It, it is. And we interpret it in a way that completely separates the church from the rest of the world. Right? It's hard to live as a Christian. It's easy to live as a non-Christian, which isn't true either. Or we put an evangelistic interpretation on it and we say there's one way to be saved, there's many ways not to be saved, right? The road is wide that leads to destruction. There's only one way to be saved, and that's Jesus, right? Now, while I believe that that is true, it is absolutely true that there is only one way to eternal life, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there are many other ways that people think lead to heaven, and they don't. That may be true, and it may be true that it is hard to stand up for your morals in a broken world. It's easier sometimes to give in to our sin, and for a moment, it's more fun 
All right? Let's not kid ourselves. Sin is fun. That's the deceptiveness of it. Right? Satan wants us to have fun with our sin. But it's never fulfilling. Maybe for a time. Maybe for a time. Now, if there's one thing that I've learned in uh, hermeneutics class, that's, the, that's um, interpreting the Bible in Bible school, is that you interpret in context of the surrounding passages. So, what if Jesus is actually saying this? I want you to hang with me for a second here. Okay? What if Jesus is actually saying this? Because he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? We already know what this is about. Jesus is saying, if you want to live as a committed follower to me, this is how you do it. This is how you live as part of the kingdom of God. What if Jesus is saying, you say you are committed to following me. All of what I've told you sums up this way. Treat others how you want them to treat you. So if we take that and we pair that with our mission that comes from the Great Commission, our mission at Creekside Church is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. That comes straight from the Great Commission where Jesus tells us to go, okay, we miss that word a lot, go and preach the gospel to everyone. He says to all nations, right? We pair the golden rule with our mission then this is what Jesus is saying. As you go out, as you go out, let me say it again, as you go out and live among the people you are trying to reach for my kingdom, treat them as you want to be treated if you were in their shoes. For you, the people who say they're committed to me, for you, the way that leads to life is hard, and few will find it. The way that leads to death the way that leads away from my kingdom, okay, listen, listen. If you're in Christ, you are saved. You're on your way to heaven. But as we think about what Jesus just said, treat others as you want to be treated, right? As we think about how we are treating other people in this context, okay, here's what it is. As you are leading people to or away from the kingdom of God, okay? Jesus is saying, the way that leads to death, the way that leads away from my kingdom is easier, and many are going to go that way. This shook me up this week. I had, I've never thought of it that way. And, and God just hit me with that really hard. Spirit of God revealed it to me in a new way. Way. Not that nothing, nothing is new under the sun, but as I read it in the context of this passage, here's how it hit me. Okay, get this. It is easier, it is easier to hold on to your moral code, to live by your moral standards if you seclude yourself from the sinful world around you. It will be easier for you to hide inside the walls of this church. It will be easier to, for you to create your own schools. It will be easy for you if you love the people that agree with you, right? That's easy. I can tell you this, okay? I am not in any way bashing any of these things. The only institution that Jesus started was the church, okay? We have created Bible schools, from elementary school all the way up through college. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. And I'm thankful for my education there. But we created those things, okay? We created Christian schools. We, 
We have our own bookstores. We have our own radio stations. We have our own labels of music. And we have, for goodness sake, we have testaments. It's a breath mint that is for God, right? I mean, true confessions. Who's had a testament before? Come on! I have, all right? Just because I wanted to say I had done it, right? Bookstore, it's sitting right there. How can you resist? It's a testament, right? And I automatically got more spiritual by doing it. Um, we've created all of these things, right? And then, get this. It will be very hard to live out your moral code, to stand up for your set of morals if you are continually spending time with people that you disagree with, with people who are not in Christ, with those who live amoral lives, with convicts, with the downcast, with the socially disregarded. This is when maintaining a good Christian testimony and leading people to the kingdom of God will be absolutely hard. That's the road I want you to take. Most of you will take the easy road. Most of you will work as hard as possible to seclude yourself from the dying world around you. That's easy, right? I have a home, I have a church. Boom, got it. Right? It's really hard to go out and on purpose seek people out, especially people who disagree with you. He goes on, verse 15 to 20, says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will be recognized by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, here's a question for you. How do you know? How do you know that what we tell you every week is true? I mean, seriously. How do you know that? I mean, do you, do you know what the Bible says about certain things? I mean, you have no idea that what we stand up here every week and tell you is true. Right? I mean, I'm glad, and hopefully you trust us, but you don't know that it's true unless you've sought it out for yourself. Acts 17, the book of Acts, um, many have called it the Acts of the Apostles. I like to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, okay? There's a story in there. It refers to people, these people who lived in a town called Berea, and it says that the Bereans were more noble because they searched the scriptures to see if what the apostles were telling them was true. That's exactly what I want you to do every single week. Okay, I had a bunch of friends growing up who uh, went to church, and they were told at church, you as a common person, right, totally separating the, the, the pastor from the people, cannot read the Bible or understand it on your own. But guess what? That's not true. Because God gave us the Holy Spirit to be able to convict us of truth, to be able to lead us to truth, to be able to convict us of sin, to help us and empower us to live the Christian life the way that God wants us to live, right? 
So that's what I want you to do every week. I want you to take everything that you hear from us and go home and study it in Scripture for yourself. Because how do you know that I am not a ravenous wolf that looks like a sheep? Right? How do you know that I'm not a wolf and I'm not just feeding you a bunch of malarkey every week? This is how you know. You test everything that any preacher up here ever says by Scripture. You've got to go to Scripture yourself. The other thing that you test is by what we say, are we, the people up here talking to you, bearing fruit for the kingdom of God on what we preach to you? Are you seeing what we preach to you? Are you seeing that? in our everyday life. And now that's a scary thing for me to tell you to do, that you need to test my life. Because how do you know? The Bible describes the fruit of the Spirit as the results of someone's life. And, and, and get this, we're going to start a series on the fruit of the Spirit in two weeks. And I love this because the fruit of the Spirit is all about who God is. <laughs> I mean, it is a perfect picture of Everything, well, not everything, but God perfectly encircles everything that the fruit of the Spirit is. Galatians 5 says the fruits of the Spirit are this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Question, what do all these have in common? They are all actions and emotions and attitudes of the heart towards other people, right? They're not just things that we hold inside that never get lived out. We want these things because we want to live the most effective lives for the kingdom of God that we can. We want to be people who are being changed by the blood of Jesus Christ on a regular basis in order to see more people come into the kingdom of God. And, and, and more importantly, as we live out the fruits of the Spirit, God is glorified most, right? Because as we live out the fruits of the Spirit, we are giving glory to God. The word glory actually means who somebody is. It's revealing who somebody is. So as we live out the fruits of the Spirit, we are revealing to the people around us who we are called to love, who God actually is is. So true sheep, true sheep, true followers of Jesus will be recognized by how they treat other people. If they are loving, joyful, peacemakers, patient with others, kind to others. We always ask our kids, how do you treat people that are mean to you? And they answer, we're nice to them, right? They don't, I mean, no, we don't always live that out, but we ask the question, are we faithful to God in relationships that we have in this life? Are we gentle with all people? Are we self-controlled towards temptations and our tongue? We've heard it said here before, but Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When putting that together with what Jesus has said in the golden rule, the great commission to preach the gospel to everyone, and the way that Jesus actually lived, it means this. 
as you spend time with people who are far from God, sinners, social outcasts, amoral people, the downtrodden, renew your mind daily in the word of God and in prayer so that, right? This is not just a religious action that we do. It's not just a check mark thing that, hey, I read my Bible today and I prayed. Good. Good to go. No. It's you do these things so that as you go and you spend time with these people outside the church, you influence them for the kingdom of God. They don't influence you towards sin. You get what I'm saying? This, Jesus has called us to something so much greater than ourselves. Verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And when I, and, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 13. It's like, you can do all of these great things. All right? You can do all these great and wondrous things in Jesus' name, but not actually have a real, everlasting life kind of relationship with Jesus. Like, really? How is that possible? Because the Bible says that everlasting life comes only through faith. Only through faith, not by works, right? There's going to be a whole lot of people that stand before Jesus, and this is pretty sobering to me. There's going to be a whole lot of people that stand before Jesus someday and say, Jesus, we did all these great things. Let me list it for you. Can I show you? And Jesus is like, trust me, I already know. I already know because I created you. I'm all-powerful. I'm God. Right? But we'll go on and list it anyway. Like, plead our case before Jesus, and he'll say, you know what? I never knew you. Because you never actually had a relationship with me. You never actually came to me for salvation. You thought that doing all these good things was going to save you. You can be more religious, more knowledgeable, more pious than all of the people around you, but you don't have love for the people that God has called you to reach all the religiosity, if that's a word, in the world won't mean a thing. What does love require of me? Even as we seek to occupy our streets, I already told you from the beginning that I stole that phrase from, uh, from another pastor. But I love, I love, I, I truly believe that for us as a church, for the church universally, that what Jesus has called us to is not to draw people in with big events, even though those are good. I think that the best way to carry out evangelism, to grow the kingdom of God that is sustainable, is every Christian, every single day, living out the values of the kingdom of God and loving people into it, right? That's how I think it works. That's what I see in Scripture, we got, I got that phrase, Occupy Your Street, from uh, Pastor Carl Lynch, Hillsong Church, New York City. And he spoke a, a message, a series recently called Occupy All Streets. The idea of it was this. There should not be any area of culture that a Christian 
is not trying to infiltrate with the gospel. Now, I know that for a lot of people who have been in church for a long time, this scares us to death, right? But consider this. For us, Creekside Church, we're, we're, we're a small church, right? But we live in Des Moines. There's a lot of great churches in Des Moines. There's a lot of people who love Jesus in Des Moines, right? So what if we as Creekside Church partnered up with all the other churches in Des Moines to do this? No business, no bar, no dark alley, no street, no barbershop, no gym, no restaurant, etc., etc., etc. No place in our culture where there is not somebody from the Christian community trying to actively get in and share the gospel with those people. Actively get in. No place in culture where us as Jesus followers are not trying to infiltrate it with the of Jesus. Who did Jesus hang out with? Specifically sinners, tax collectors, and social outcasts. And I'll ask you this question. Who did Jesus offend? Did Jesus offend the sinners? No. He loved them. Who did Jesus offend? I read this this morning. Who did Jesus offend? His disciples came to him one time that he said something hard for the religious leaders to say. And they said to him, Jesus, did you know? Like Jesus knew about. Jesus, did you know that when you said that, you offended the Pharisees? (laughs) I I love that. It's like one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Did you know that you offended the Pharisees by saying that? It was because Jesus called them out on something that they were living incorrectly. You say you're a Jesus follower, and yet you live like this. Be offended. Right? Offend those people. But Jesus, Jesus loved on the lost people. I mean, he said it himself. I have come to seek active. That's an active word. I have come to seek and to save the lost. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus backed down from the truth. But Kyle spoke this week at camp, and uh, the, he spoke from the Gospel of John. And little does he know, I, I was listening. All right, because my, uh, my favorite story that he shared this week um, was a story of Jesus going and meeting a woman at the well in the middle of a day. I'm not going to go into much detail from this story. We don't have time for that. But Jesus was going from, he was going on a trip from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. Now, the town of Samaria was in the middle, okay? And at that time, because of of a series of historical events, Jews hated, I mean, hated, did not associate and avoided at all costs the Samaritans. I mean, this this is like Westboro Baptist Church and the LGBT community. I mean, or it's many of, it's many churches and people who have, sin sexually, drink beer, have tattoos, hang out in clubs, wear different kinds of clothes, have piercings in crazy places, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Normally, a trip from Judea to Galilee, the Jews would take a several-day trip of travel just to go around Samaria to avoid these people that they hated, right? Jesus didn't do that, right? Get this. I love this. Jesus, on purpose... Okay, that's, that's what I want you to lock in here. On purpose, went straight through the middle. 
he went straight through Samaria because I think he knew I'm going to go meet some people that my people hate, right? These are the people that I need to love. These are the people that need to be loved. That's the hard road. That's not easy. The easy road, even though physically challenging to go days out of the way, was easier for people on the inside, right? How often do we do that? Now, in this story, Jesus stopped at a well, and a Samaritan woman came to the well in the middle of the day because she was ashamed of her sin. She didn't want to be seen by the other people who came in the morning or the evening. And Jesus has a conversation with her. First, it's a woman. No way. A male Greek having a conversation with a woman on that level. No way. And she was a Samaritan. No way. Jesus knew everything about this woman, right? Now, he could have immediately said, hey, let me show you. Let me list all the things that's wrong with you, right? You have had five husbands. The man that you're with right now is not your husband. You are living a sexually promiscuous life. You're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're outcast. You're, you're coming here in the middle of the day because you're in your, shame, in your shame. He could have just done that, but what did he do? Instead of doing that, he had a conversation with this woman. I love that. He had a conversation, and through that conversation came out the fact that the woman had been married five times, and the man who she was with right then was not her husband. But it was information that she gave in the midst of a conversation. Now, Jesus still wanted to get to her heart, but he knew the nature of people. And he knew that if I do not love this woman first, if she can't tell that I absolutely love her, she's not going to listen to me. So he starts a conversation with this woman, and when he finds out the truth from her own lips... Because of that conversation, Jesus doesn't condemn her for it, but he offers her something better. Something that would satisfy her deepest need, her deepest longing, her deepest thirst, so that she would never have to go fill up from any other man ever again. Because that, isn't that like us? What are we seeking satisfaction? What are we seeking satisfaction in other than Jesus? Jesus doesn't necessarily condemn us for it. He says, no, I have something so much better. I have freedom for you, so stop going to that thing because I can fulfill you forever. I can fulfill you forever. And yes, the only way to salvation is that the result of that love results in us turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. We have to turn from our sin, but how did Jesus do it? That was the hard and the narrow road. Jesus could have avoided it all together, but for the sake of the gospel, he did the on-purpose hard thing. And here's the deal. This is so cool. When you follow the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead you to places that no one else is going. You get that? That's scary. You seek God in his word to be refreshed and renewed by him on a daily basis and his Holy Spirit will stand you up, give you courage to go into places that nobody else is going because they're afraid. 
because it's hard. But he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could do these things. So are we trying to play it safe and seclude ourselves from the world around us? Or are we strengthening ourselves daily in God's word, renewing our minds so that we can take the narrow, the hard way. So that we can go do hard things and so that we can spend time with different kinds of people for the sake of the mission to love people to Jesus. I know it scares me to death and it scares you to death. But Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, to to help us, to give us courage, to convict us of our own sin, to empower us to bear fruit for his kingdom. Are we occupying our street on purpose like Jesus did? Are we doing hard things? Are we taking those steps? Because I can tell you this, as a Jesus follower, we're never, we're never going to find more satisfaction than following Jesus completely. We're going to have a time of communion. And, and this is far beyond just um, doing a religious thing. Jesus gave us the bread and the juice to remember him. And it all starts here. We remember what Jesus did for us. The band is going to come back up now. And as we worship, this is where it starts. We remember what Jesus did for us, and it's a reminder of our own salvation that inspires us to then go out and do the hard things so that we can bring as many people with us to heaven as possible. Isn't that it? Right? So I'm going to pray for us. And if you're here this morning, you just don't have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says today is the day of salvation, which means you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to know any more than just turn your life over to Jesus, follow him, and let him help you to turn away from your sin in a real, meaningful, deep relationship with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you that in Christ we have freedom. I pray, God, that as we remember Jesus, that he would receive the glory. Thank you, Jesus, that we have freedom in you, and thank you that we get to share that uh, love and the gospel with all the people around us because it really is good news because our sin condemns us to hell and you freed us from the, the penalty of sin and death so that we could live an abundant life now and eternity in heaven with you. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Receive this worship. Pray that it's a sweet aroma to you. In Jesus' name. would be led to pursue you this week. God, to go home and and to test what they've been told. Father, lead us by your Spirit to where we should go this week for the gospel. Lead us by your Spirit to who we should love this week for the gospel, God, and bear us fruit. I pray that our hearts are right before you, God, as we seek a relationship with Jesus. You change us. We love you, God, and we need to be led by you. We want to see people come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and have an eternity and a hope with you in heaven someday. So, God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. We love you.
and we need you. We're going to sing one more song together, just a proclamation to our God that we will stand with the, the arms of our hearts and our literal arms surrendering to him that he would lead us this week. If you need to go get your kids, you can do that. But let's the rest of us just stay and worship together.